Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Grace we can put into action will have a profound effect on those relationships. Uh, when Owen um, spoke last week, he mentioned how investing in those relationships will bless us but also help those outside the church as well. Um, He talked about Phil's prophetic word, about how couples within Beacon will be looked at, leaned on, and learnt from. And that word really ties in with a lot of prophecy we've had over the years about Beacon being a family, this sense of family. And we looked at those um, kind of few verses in 1 Timothy 5. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Creating those godly relationships will be a blessing to us, and it will make Beacon distinct. And it will also be attractive for the community around us, because they will see something, they'll see this sense of family that they themselves don't experience. We've called the series um, Faith um, That Works, because... um, We know we're saved by grace. Um, We know that there's nothing that we can do to make us more right before God. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. We cannot earn our salvation. Um, But we do recognise that the gospel doesn't just save, it transforms as well. And yes, we are saved by grace, but our faith does have an outworking. And actually, just like how creating this godly sense of family in the church will draw people in, I believe actually living out this teaching will do the same as well. Um, So today we're looking at the first 18 verses of chapter 1, and the overarching theme would be one of kind of trials, maybe even suffering. And truth be told, it can be a difficult thing to speak on. Um, For some of you here today, um, experiencing trials and suffering is very real to you. Um, You are right in the midst of something, and so when you hear these verses, you're not engaging on a theoretical level, it is a lived experience for you, and that comes with all the emotions that are attached to it. Um, For others, you may not be in the midst of a trial, but you can quickly make a connection to a time when you were. And maybe you look back on that time, you're kind of still not understanding why. Why did it happen to me? Um, But as always, it's helpful to spend time reflecting what the Bible says should be the Christian response to it, because whatever your stresses or pressures or trials you're experiencing or have experienced, God does want to meet you in it. Uh, We make connections on a personal level, but I would also like us to make connections on a corporate church level. Yes, how do I view and respond to trials that I'm experiencing? But actually, how do we respond to the trials that the church can face? So um, I'm going to read the passage. It will come up on the screen. So James 1, verses 1 to 18. Jesus, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test of the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my, bit, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for time together. We thank you for worship. And Lord... And we're reminded that ultimately we must trust in you. Um, We might have our own skills, we might have our own gifts, our own wisdom, but the wise choice is to trust in you, your word, your spirit, and how it leads and guides us. And I pray you you do that, help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When you think about the world around us, it can quickly become quite clear that there are some certain values that it holds quite dear. Um, individualism would be one of them, the empowerment of the individual to approach life with a tunnel vision that it is about my way, my dreams, my hopes and my rights. Relativism, I'm happy for that to be true for you as long as it doesn't affect what is true for me. And I'd say another big one, um, another big value would be comfort. Um, It can seem that a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to make life as comfortable for themselves as they can. And it's something I have to watch in my own life. I approach life from a point of thinking, um, what is best? And instead of thinking, what would make my life easier? Um, Now, I realise it's not a good idea to rewrite the Bible, but I spent a little bit of time thinking about if someone was to edit those first um, verses 2 and 3 so they're more reflective of the time in which we live, what would they come up with, possibly? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience comfort of many kinds, because you know that chilling out on the sofa produces. But actually, what does it produce? Now, I like chilling out on the sofa as much as anyone, and it's important to recognise that actually rest is a good thing. It's a biblical principle. It was right there at the beginning of creation when God himself rested, and we must rest too. It keeps us in check stops us from overworking. It reminds us actually to trust in God instead of getting caught up in an endless cycle of productivity. But the ultimate purpose of rest should not be comfort. And so we shouldn't pursue comfort as an idol. Um, Because a life of pursuit of comfort ultimately produces a person who cannot experience discomfort. Um, The actual statement in those verses is massive. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters whenever you experience trials of many kind. That is powerful to the Christian. It is powerful to the outside world. On a normal day, I think maybe I could get to consider it tolerable, consider it bearable, maybe manageable. 
or even considering it something I could get through. But pure joy, what is it to live out that truth? So we can go to the next slide. So, Katarina Johnson-Thompson. Um, so last week, she um, won the gold medal in the heptathlon at the World Championships. She achieved four P personal bests, and she set a, um, a British record. She eclipsed what Jessica Ennis had um, scored. Um, but I think it's fair to say she's had a bit of an up-and-down career. I remember two years ago, Emma and I went to the World Championships when it was held at London, and we were in the stadium when she was competing, and there was, there's a sense of real expectation that she was going to do well. And it came to what was one of her kind of preferred events. It came to the kind of the high jump, and she just messed up. It just didn't go well for her, and that, that kind of messing up in that event meant that she didn't kind of, you know, get at least medal in the competition. And I think she's spoken a little bit about it, but when she's competed in the past, um, because heptathlon goes over the course of two days, but she's gone, gone to the hotel on the evening of the first day, and she's kind of just cried. When it hasn't gone well, she's just cried. And so I felt so pleased for her that it went so well this week, but it got me thinking, is it when we're facing trials purely about coming through hardship? Is it purely about coming through hardship? Because I imagine for her, she might now, having that gold medal, look back at those previous years and thinking, oh, those tears were worth it. But is it just about coming through hardship? Yesterday, um, the Ironman World Championships took place in Hawaii. Now, um, these people who do this have my ultimate respect. It consists of a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bicycle ride, and then it ends with a marathon, so 26.2 miles. Now, um, those distances I find hard to comprehend. Um, at the moment, I'm not running as much, so kind of a walk around the block seems like a challenge for, my, for me. Um, but it's really impressive, and I kind of... Think about what must they feel as they're going through it. I can't imagine that as they're coming towards the end of that marathon, that they're thinking to themselves, oh, do you know, this searing pain in my muscles, wonderful. <laughs> or this, oh, that feeling of nausea that I'm feeling in the pit of my stomach, wonderful, I'm loving it. Um, I can't imagine that they're thinking about it that way. Um, in isolation, the pain would be unbearable. But I think that they can cope with it um, because they know if they persevere, they'll complete one of the toughest races around. Um, they can consider it pure joy um, in the moment, in the struggle, because they know what it produces. And as Christians, we can consider trials joy because they produce in us perseverance. And if we let perseverance finish its work in us, we will be mature and complete. In the letter to Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes about being in pains until Christ is formed in them. Um, we're saved for a purpose, and God wants us to make us more like his son. And just as Jesus suffered, we suffer. But there is this sense about being able, in the moment, to consider it pure joy because we can recognize what God is doing with us, in us. It's a bold truth, but it's one we need to let seep in. Because our initial reaction is, when you experience any kind of choice, this doesn't feel joyful. But we're not merely talking about that kind of worldly joy we're talking, or temporal happiness. We're talking about a spiritual and enduring joy that lasts. And we can be blessed if we persevere under trial. 
because we receive the crown of life. We receive eternal life. So if we're going to get to that place, it almost feels like reading through the passage, there are some pitfalls, um, some stumbling blocks that we must avoid um, if we're going to be in that place of pure joy. And I just want to talk through three. And the first one is doubt. Verse 5 says, and 6, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So the opening section about trials is followed up by these few verses um, looking at wisdom and doubt. Um, Doubt is definitely a pitfall we need to avoid, but we must be careful not to be unrealistic in our expectations. Everyone doubts occasionally. I doubt. But I think what it's getting at in these verses is that actually the underlying foundation of our life should be one of belief and not doubt. And this is massively important when it comes to coping with trials. In the midst of a trial, you're experiencing something and you may not really understand why it's happening. It's just not clear. Also, you may feel like you don't know what to do in the trial, how to respond to it. A way forward isn't clear, and you're lacking wisdom. James says, though, ask God for the wisdom, and he who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, the implication here is that possibly for some, the trial could be the result of something they've done. And when that's happened, we can maybe um, be looking to... Um, apportion um, blame. I, um, and it's like we're analysing the trial and we're thinking, oh, is this happening to me? And we're thinking, so I've done something wrong. Is this almost like a punishment? Um, and we can think that God is maybe looking at us and thinking, oh, you know, you're in that situation because of that. And we forget that God is a God of grace. He has eyes of grace and he gives to us generously because of what Jesus has won for us. So if you're in the middle of a trial at the moment, a challenging time, don't doubt how God looks upon you. God looks upon you with eyes of grace. He's not going to hold his good things from you. He's not going to withhold his love, his wisdom. He's going to continue to lavish his grace upon you. If we get that, doubt doesn't grip us. It doesn't take hold. Because when we doubt, we can become double-minded like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Circumstances, no matter how difficult, mustn't control us. Um, We've had this recent series on Christian marriage and relationships, um, and one of the things that really struck me um, was when Owen spoke about what are the rules of engagement for arguments? Like Almost saying, but when you argue, what parameters are there? And... um, I've been there, you know, there's an issue, and to an extent, you're arguing about the issue, but it quickly becomes, becomes about something else, and it develops and it spirals to the point where you, get to, you reach and you think, actually, what started this in the first place? I can't, I can't even remember. Um, but I suppose what Owen was saying is that there may well be an important issue to discuss and work through, but it doesn't mean that anything goes in a discussion. There are some parameters. And I'd like to say there's a similar thing with trials. We may well be going through something difficult, but at the same time, it doesn't mean anything goes. We cannot allow ourselves to be blown and tossed, of course, by the situations that God throws us. He has plans and purposes that he's prepared in advance for us to do, and he wants us to fulfil them. 
The second one would be losing our identity. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. Some commentators wonder whether James is arguing that maybe the greatest trials are linked to poverty and wealth. And that may be something we can relate to. Money is an easy thing to put your identity in. It's an easy thing to value. God created us to worship. We will work to worship him. But because sin distorted things, we worship other things as well. And because of the way the world is, money can be a quite an obvious place to go to. Um, but what's interesting here is that James is saying that both sides of the coin, so to speak, are a trial. It's a trial for those who have little the worry attached to it, am I going to have enough to get through the week? Um, and the thought that maybe you do not have as much value as a person because you have a financial situation. But, it's also, um, but James reminds those in humble circumstances to take pride in their high spiritual position. There's a reminder of their God-given identity. Do not lose sight of that. We mustn't lose sight of that. Even though the world may be perceiving your circumstances one way and you feel the pressure of taking that viewpoint upon yourself, remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Remember that higher position. But the expectation for those with many is the same. Take pride in your humiliation. Remember that in Christ your wealth doesn't mean anything at all. It brings you absolutely no advantage before God. Here the trial is money, but the principle applies whatever the trial may be. If you're experiencing trial at work, it can become very easy to put your identity in your work. Um, If you're experiencing challenges about health, you can make your life about your health. In the midst of any trial, we must make sure that we don't make it about the trial, but keep our identity in Christ. And that has huge implications for the church. To create a community where circumstances can change dramatically, but our identity holds firm. Um, There's a famous line from a film called Forrest Gump. Now, in my head, this seems like a recent film, but I think it's probably like 25 years ago or something, how the time flies. But it says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And um, surprises can be good when it comes to chocolate, unless you get those coffee ones you don't like at the end. but, and life even, but when it comes to what is our identity as a church, what we put our identity in, they're not so good. This Sunday, we're full of the joy of salvation. We love you, Lord. Next, um, next Sunday, it's been a tough week with the kids, maybe. Um, work's not gone well. You've not been feeling well. And you're a bit like, oh, Lord, is there anything good in this world? Um, surprises in that way aren't good. Um, yet, whatever seasons, whatever the trial, we must hold firm to the gospel, to our identity as children of God. Um, and in and of itself, that can be quite missional, um, because sometimes holding firm to something is the most powerful thing you can do. And actually, when we think about the situation in the country currently, the upheaval, the uncertainty, a church holding on to its God-given identity, an identity that is certain and true, is a deeply and powerful thing. And the third pitfall to avoid, blame. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So blame. B 
Being tempted and resisting temptation is a trial. It's a battle. Sometimes it can feel like those momentary temptations, but sometimes we can feel like we're going through a period of temptation. Um, however, we must avoid blaming God for the temptation. As it said, God, is, um, is not, God doesn't tempt people. Um, it can feel that way when certain situations and circumstances come about. But no, he's not. Um, we can attach blame to God. And what we actually have to do is, even though it's hard, even though it's humbling, is recognise that it's our own evil desires that are dragging us away and enticing us. Blaming God actually masks the problem and leads to unhealthy responses. If we blame God, we're less likely to draw close to him. We're less likely to rely upon his grace and his love. Um, When we come to recognise that it is in fact our own sinfulness, we run to him in prayer and draw upon his spirit to sustain us and to receive forgiveness. And when we see that the issue in terms of tension is with us, um, that also gives us the strength, actually, to kind of forgive others. Um, In the passage, it's talking about blaming God, but it's worth saying that, actually, when we're in difficult circumstances, it may be the consequences of someone else's sin, and we can end up blaming that person, and unforgiveness can take hold. Um, but just like brain prevents us from receiving God's forgiveness, yeah, it becomes a barrier to extending grace to others. And we must make sure that actually, you know, no matter what they have done, I have been forgiven, so I'm going to forgive them. So, I'm sure um, that in your kind of Christian life, you've been surprised in the different ways that um, God has spoken to you over the years. Um, there's that instance in Numbers in the Bible when God actually spoke through a donkey. Now, um, I don't have anything on that level, but God did speak to me through a junior school singing assembly recently. Um, now, I imagine that the majority of you here haven't experienced the school singing assembly recently. Um, so just to be clear, the general atmosphere um, isn't conducive to hearing God, actually. Um, in my school, it would be about 250 children belting out a range of bizarre songs, rarely in tune. Um, but I was surprised um, at the beginning of the year that actually a song that came play, uh, was played and the children sung along to it, and God spoke to me through it. And, and although I knew the name of it, even though I knew the tune, it also became very clear I paid very little attention to the lyrics. And um, um, I know this isn't about me being bitter when Owen kept all the message of music series to himself, but we're going uh, to have a listen to it now, actually. And my encouragement would be to um, have a lis- um, listen to it, really pay attention to the lyrics. Um, the song is It's a Wonderful World, um, um, performed by Louis Armstrong. to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue and clouds of white The bright blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how they do They really say 
much more than I never knew And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful When I hear my babies cry, I'm not pondering how they're going to grow and surpass me in knowledge and experience of the world. I'm thinking, stop crying. Um, I imagine when you write a song like that, um, you have to have a particular approach and mentality to how you view the world. So whatever you see, whatever you're experiencing, you're connecting it to something good and something wonderful. I think the same could be said of trials and suffering. Um, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is not like the shifting shadows. He does not change. So when we experience trials, it's not that he's ceased to be gracious and loving and become a judgmental and a God that punishes. Although he does not tempt us in his sovereignty, he is in the trial. And he is doing a good work in us, producing perseverance and making us mature and complete. And when we see that, we can even get to a place where maybe we can see a trial as a good gift from God. I think if the Matt could come up for a moment. Just, uh, what I've been thinking about is just one of the ways that the church is described in the Bible is um, the body of the believers. Um, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And I think Matt's going to play a song. And just my encouragement to be is not to go through anything in isolation. The church is here to support, to love you, to pray for you, and actually to help you to, to know God's love and know God's grace in the midst of any trial you're experiencing. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we recognise the world in which we live, all, all, it's, all that is wonderful, all that is beautiful, but Lord, we do recognise that because of sin has entered and there is pain, there is trial, there is suffering. And Lord, we don't want to, to minimise that and the effect that it can, it can have on us. But Lord, we do know that um, you are with us in the midst of it. We know that um, your spirit can produce perseverance in us, but Lord, you want to make us like your son. And so, Lord, we, we humbly say we are open to that, to being made like your son. So, Lord, give us faith in the midst of challenges to see what you are doing and how much you love us. In Jesus' name. want to encourage us for a moment to, uh, uh, to to just close our eyes as part of our response to God, just to really just focus on Him. That was a really helpful unpacking of that passage. Um, but I just wanted uh, to say a couple of things. I think I think this passage in James. Um, I don't know how people would have read this historically, but I think for us, it's one of the biggest challenges we face. It's 
one of the biggest challenges of um, living in the 21st century and living in a country like the UK. This passage re reflects and represents one of our biggest challenges. It was interesting when, when Steve talked about pitfalls to avoid. Uh, at first, I kept thinking that we actually do the absolute opposite of that. We don't, you know, in order that we can face up to our trials, there are things that we want to avoid. And yet we spend most of our time trying to avoid the trial and trying to embrace the comfort. That's what we do most of the time. And we, even, we do it subconsciously. We don't even think about it. Um, that we put things in place in our lives that bring comfort over trial. So we don't go through trial. And we've become so resourceful at that, that we do that. And we can even turn that into a God thing, like God helps us in it. I, I was just struck by that phrase, consider it pure joy. Um, I know many of us just love that idea of joy and the joy that God brings. But here it relates joy to trial. It relates joy to testing. And what he goes on to say, which I just think we mustn't miss, is the idea that it's through the joy that you get through the trial that you become mature. Maturity comes through the perseverance through trial. And I just feel like for us, there's this acknowledgement, this is massive for our generation. Steve threw them out almost like they were just normal phrases when he talked about individualism, relativism, comfort. He just threw them out and yet that's massive for us. And just as I was standing there, God gave me a picture and it was when you go to an airport and uh, you know, you're, going, you're, you're going from the car park or wherever it is to the, to the terminal and you go on one of those travelators and, and the travelator, it, it just means you can stand there and move without doing anything. Or when you walk, you walk quicker than if you were walking just, on, on just, just without it. And I feel like our world is a travelator for comfort. It's, a tra it's like going on a travelator. It means you, you can avoid any kind of hardship. You can just move along really quickly and you can move without even moving. You can stand still and you're moving. And that the Christian life at times can feel like you're walking along that travelator the opposite way. And that means it's really difficult. That means it's tough. You're going against the flow. You're not just going against the direction that the people are going in. You're going against the direction that the underlying culture's going. You're going against it all. That's what it can feel like being a Christian. And for some of us, we've... we've we've found that difficult so we've found a way of going with the flow and still be Christian and I feel like this talk in a very simple way is to bring us up short at least to bring to our minds you can't do that you can't do that you can't go the way of the world and think that doing that you can somehow mature as a Christian you can't do that and for some of us, it's time we turned around and we, and we stopped seeking comfort. And it's not that we seek trial, but to be honest, we all go through trial. You don't need to seek trial. You, some of you, you're going through trial. 
The idea is not to avoid the trial. It's to, it's to be able to walk through the trial. And as you embrace the trial, you develop perseverance. And when perseverance finishes its work, you become mature. You become mature. Maturity doesn't come about through going to church. It doesn't even come about through reading the Bible lots. It comes about through the embracing of trial and avoiding the pitfalls and going God's way in it. And I feel like that's a message for us. It's a message for me. It's a message for me. Yeah, because when he rewrote that verse and he talked about chilling, do you know what? I, I can chill. I can be the master of chilling. But I'm just going to pray for us. I feel it's a timely word for us. I, I pray that our hearts are open to hear it. So let, let's, just, let's just pray together. Our eyes closed. Let's just focus on him. Father, we, we acknowledge that your word is true and that, and that, and that what the Bible says is true. And, and, and in this case, it speaks very directly to our world in 2019. Though it was written 2,000 years ago, it speaks to us today, here and now. Father, we acknowledge that. But God, we also say to you, it's not easy. It's not easy to, 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 to live the Christian way in this world. I'm not saying it was easy in other worlds, but it's really not easy in this world. Because it does feel like we're going against the tide. And we're not just going against the flow, but the, the underlying ground is moving away the opposite direction. So we ask, O oh God, for your grace. We thank you that this passage tells us that you do not change. That you haven't changed that nothing about you changes. And so this morning we look to you, O oh God, in our trials. We look up to you. We look to you in the sufferings, in the difficulties, in, in the discomfort. Lord, we recognize, yeah, there are moments of real discomfort that we experience in life. And we might not even put the term trial over it. We might not even put the term suffering over it, but that is what it really is when we experience discomfort and we're trying to get out of uncomfortable situations. Help us, God. Help us. Show us how we can walk this path in 2019 and to grow to maturity of faith, that we can live lives of faith that works. Faith that works. I pray that for us as a community. I, I pray, Father, we will take comfort from what you're doing and that we will take encouragement from one another as we recognize we all go through trials, but we're standing in them. We're holding ground through them. And I pray, Father, that you would bring us to maturity through the perseverance of the trial. And Lord, whilst it seems a long way off, that one day we might be able to join with James and consider it pure joy. That might seem a very long way off. Father, I pray that it would not be an unthinkable thought. That one day we would look back with some joy on what, you, what we have gone through, what we have experienced. We ask this in your name. We ask it for your glory. And we ask it for the ongoing mission of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. 
If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.